Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to another episode of The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Perry. I'm your host, David. Tonight we're talking about Season 5, Episode 10, Rapture. Before we continue, you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and X as The Fire Caves, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. That is correct, and as I say, every single week you should find us and follow us because we're great, we're awesome, we are a good time. And if you are tuning in tonight, you will get the first chance to enter into our contest. Um, again, all you have to do is go to our uh, YouTube channel. You will go to the live section to watch the video. You will watch our video and listen for the keyway, keyword or phrase, and then you will put it in the comments. We will put everybody's name in that actually enters we'll do the drawing for that at a later time and then in the new year whoever the winner is will receive the federation medallion that you can then affix to any rounded glass container cup that you so choose it will be completely free to you all you have to do is win the contest okay and then of course we'll reach out to you contact you to you know get your information so we can send it to you of course um, but that's it. That's all. We will be revealing that phrase later on. Um, but before we get into the episode and contest and all the rest of it, as always, we have to check in. So, David, how has your week been? It's been good. It's been good. Um, I finished War and Peace this week. Uh, it was really good, but my goodness, dense. I'm not kidding, Perry. The last 50 pages of the book are a whole like college paper on the nature of power and free will so at the end of a long book of fiction you get 50 pages about does humanity have free will or not (laughs) fascinating but certainly a very different ending to a book than i think most people would ever experience um so it's really good. I really enjoyed it. I uh, also started, I watched the uh, BBC eight-part miniseries with my folks. It's It was really good. The, the BBC miniseries was good. It kept to the plot of the book really well. The only problem with TV shows and movies is that they can't show you the inner lives of the characters. And a lot of what the book is is understanding what's going on inside the characters. So you're getting all the plot, the outer plot. But um, it would have been – you you do miss something by watching it as opposed to reading it. Um, but, yeah, that was kind of the big thing for me other than work and Christmas and all yes. that. How about, how about you? Anything new with you? Uh, real quick before we get into that, I just want to ask you since you said it was a, you know, basically a dissertation on whether or not man has free will. Where do you come down on that? Do you feel like after reading this, you can definitively say, yes, we absolutely have free will, free determination, whatever, or no, it's all a sham. And we're all just cogs in the, in the greater wheel. I believe we have free will. I mean, certainly my beliefs would suggest that. I mean, even, I, I don't think you can explain 
life, anything, if you don't have the idea of free will. Even if you come down on the side of we're a bunch of chemical meat bags that are just responding to stimuli, that doesn't answer the question of justice, answer the question of you know reality, human connection. There's so many things about life that are only understood by the idea of, of choice. Now, I'm not saying we have unlimited free choice. Obviously not. We don't have unlimited free choice. I'm not Superman. I can't fly. Just because I can't fly Boy, that'd be great. my eyes doesn't mean I don't have free will. But um, our free will is limited, certainly. But we certainly have choices that are put in front of us. And, I, I mean, the Christian, you know, the, the whole point of Christianity is in part that we're supposed to gain control of ourselves. Yes, there are things about ourselves that there are times when we feel like we can't control ourselves. Like, oh, I, I'm hungry. I need to eat. Well, the whole, the whole reason that fasting is a thing is the idea that you have mind over matter. Your body tells you you're hungry discipline. and you don't – you discipline your mind against your body yeah. that, yes, I might be hungry, but for like 24 hours, I'm not going to eat anything um, as a way to express self-control. Um, so, yes, I do. What, how do you fall? Do you have an opinion? Um, I, I definitely think that we have uh, free will. I think that you know just the – total chaos of our world seems to suggest that we have free will because you know in if you just look at nature there is an there's an inherent order to things but then when you look at humanity there's a lot of chaos so it's like right. if we didn't have free will we would also follow a certain order um, mm -hmm. there'd be a certain you know there'd be a way to observe us from a very you know kind of distant logical standpoint but there's so much about humanity not and not even looking at like like you were saying like justice and everything else but just looking at the way that our society has ebbed and flowed over its entire existence that so much of it is just like it's a it's a sheer luck it's a miracle it's right. a whatever that some of these things happened and then other right. things didn't happen and so much again there's there's no pattern there's no you know whatever so yeah i'm just like to me that is enough to indicate that we have uh, free will. Um, now, there could be somebody who might say that there is, you know, order in our chaos. And if you look right. at it the right way, you may find it. I just, I guess, haven't looked at it that way. So I don't know. Perry, I, I just want to say your answer just now was fascinating because you were basically right on where Tolstoy was at the end of War and Peace. I've he never read it. <laughs> and he, he basically, I mean, he was kind of coming at it the other angle. Tolstoy kind of concludes that there must be universal laws that control humanity's like reaction to life and like the law of gravity if we could understand it then we would understand that free will is not free it's bound by laws i mean he kind of goes both ways which is kind of why the whole end of the book is just kind of like whoa what's going on because he basically just rants for 50 pages um about free will and power and all this but it's interesting you said it the way you did because uh he 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 basically says, yeah, if we could if we could understand humanity and the way they make choices, maybe we could quantify it. But because we can't quantify, can't yeah. quantify it, we don't. Yeah, there's do, just there's and... just there's just so many things. And like we even in our own you know day and age, and like now, especially, I think the easiest one to point out would be like you know certain you know outbursts of violence you know that we see. 
You know, it's it's one thing to be able to like track the escalation to war, which that we've done many many times. But when right. like, when you're talking about just random outbursts of violence and and people, you know, like you know school shootings, for example, there doesn't really ever seem to be any kind of plan with that, or you know, there's no escalation that anyone can really point to. It just it's shocking, it's sudden, it's it's graphic, it's terrible. You know, those right. are the those those truly chaotic moments like that that stand out to me as again this it's that was someone making a choice that was a person yeah. making a terrible choice but still a choice that none of us can fathom and really understand so right. so those are the reasons why I, like i hate to use violence as an example but it's probably the easiest one as a way to say yeah we clearly have free will because again nature would 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 not have so much abject violence without there being a point you right. know right yeah um yeah but was, it's an interesting yes. book and an interesting conclusion. <laughs> now you kind of um, got me wanting to read it. I don't know if I will ever, you know, have the time. Uh, it's certainly long. I mean, I mean, Count of Monte Cristo is only 100 pages shorter, so I think if you could get through that, you could get through War and Peace. Okay. But to be very clear, War and Peace does not have the same sort of structure as a storytelling mechanism as, like, Count of Monte Cristo. Count of Monte Cristo, there's a huge injustice yeah. at the beginning of the book, and then you're driven through ups and downs of plot the point of war and peace is it's it follows almost a decade's worth more than a decade's worth of several people's lives so it's it's kind of like more... the way you describe it, it always it reminds me it's kind of like that century's version of like what we would watch now as like a docuseries you know so it's a historical docuseries on this particular event which we would now watch that as several parts of like a netflix miniseries special but you're well, reading it's, it's, it. It is the most straight up historical fiction yeah. I've ever read for sure. But I'm, when I say historical fiction, I mean there are literal hu, there are literal hu, uh, historical figures in the book as characters. Now they're not the main characters, but they are certainly followed in the book. Okay. And when I say it's a historical fiction, I mean it's it's set in its physical time and place. Leo Tolstoy is making a point about that time and place. It's not just oh here's a time here's a setting. He is saying something about the historical setting um, with his book, and it's it's really enjoyable. It's it's a sad book. It's a book about people living lives and making mistakes, but it doesn't have quite those massive ups and downs of like Mount, Mount, the Mont, Counts of Monte Cristo in terms of okay. just pure plot. It's not Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. With I mean, it is in some ways because it's about you know the invasion of Russia, but. The point of the book is that actually it's the small moments amongst all the big moments that matter to kind of summarize some of the themes. Okay. Um, so it's really good. I enjoyed it. Enjoyed it more than I initially expected. I was kind of like, oh, I'll read it because it's something I think would make sense because I just read Napoleon uh, about Napoleon, uh, the biography. But I'm glad I did because I was reading the book, and I, as I said last week, knowing the history of the period and now reading a book about the history of the period from a fictional perspective – was really enjoyable so yeah great time uh after i finished reading that i did pick up um charles dickens i have a book on his christmas stories you know as like christmas carol and i've read christmas carol before and i started reading one of the other ones but it was really boring it was not nearly as good as christmas carol it was like really hard to get into and so i just read a summary of it online and i was like yeah that doesn't sound a lot of fun but hmm. starting uh the day after christmas Time for Nemesis games, baby. So, Good. Okay. Yeah. So, 
Um, so really quick to summarize what I've been up to, it's always been much of the same, which is um, moving. But um, uh, I've had to speed things up a lot on the moving front. Um, several things have changed with scheduling, um, not just for myself, but for extended family members as well. My mother is getting ready to have this uh, uh pretty intensive surgery and then of course that will mean she will need you know my assistance for with her rehab and recuperation and so forth so i want to make sure that i'm available and not still having to like you know run around a whole lot so i'm speeding everything up so hopefully we'll be finished by like well right around like new year's like i'm hoping to be done and then ringing in the new year fully at my new place and not having to like go back for anything so this coming week is going to be like the make or break on that because it means i'm going to have to make one or two trips in the middle of the week up here to like drop some other things off and then if possible i don't even know if they're going to be open but rent a u-haul to get the last of the stuff so we'll see um nemesis on the front front of nemesis games i uh Went ahead and purchased the sixth book, and it arrived yes. today, as a matter of fact. All so right. I'm quite excited to get into this, and this is uh, Babylon's Ashes. So uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to both being able to discuss um, uh, the fifth book and then getting into the sixth book. And I'm and the main reason I'm so excited about the sixth book is because, as we all know, the show ended in the sixth season, which is supposed to be mainly the sixth book but then they also like smash some stuff from the last books a little bit into into the final season they did not cover everything and that's kind of been like the big you know are they going to come back are they going to do you know more of the series are they going to do a movie you know what are they going to do to truly finish this out um, right. and so now we're we're finally getting into the territory of the book where it's not been covered by the show. So I'm just right. really excited to, you know, make those comparisons, connections, and then go beyond that and see just kind of how this world continues. Um, right. Also, I want to um, then do a little bit of a follow-up with the authors of this series. And, you know, I, I guess we will answer that question when we get through the final book as to whether or not there is any more in this universe that they've created. If there's right. any more that they're going to be doing with the protomolecule or not. I, on the one hand, I hope that we get there and find out that there's so much potential and they just haven't written it yet. And that maybe they're just waiting to do like another series of this. Um, but I, I, I'm, betting it's not going to be that but I, anyway i don't want to jump so far ahead now i'm speculating about <laughs> other nonsense uh, but suffice it to say i've really been enjoying this series um i enjoyed i actually did finish nemesis games um i nice. enjoyed okay. it yeah i enjoyed yeah. it more than i thought that i was going to as we had talked about before i don't like it when they work so hard to establish an ensemble cast and then split them up you know and then yeah. they they have their own whatever's because i like to interplay i like how you know you have very dominant personalities and and obviously you know submissive and intermediary personalities or whatever else and seeing how those dynamics all work together and then when they right. all splinter and now they're having to make their own decisions and do their own thing to me it doesn't have the same kind of uh, resonance i guess to say as as it would when they're together and having to struggle with presenting their points of view and making their arguments and countering other people's arguments and the debate that comes from a group, a team, making a decision and moving forward. 
But there is also a lot of uh, a lot of extra world building in the book. You also find out about some some other characters that you know we knew about from the show, um, and so this is kind of like their first outing to a, a certain degree. So we're getting to see them, and um, you know, obviously they they differ from what we see on the show. But I don't think it was necessarily bad. But we'll get into all that as well. Um, but yeah, basically, I'm, I'm looking forward to all of that. And uh, also, now um, we get to say officially that David, after watching this episode, can now watch Star Trek First Contact. So we will be uh, doing a Trek after, not Trek, but a um, uh, Fire Caves After Dark, excuse me, a Fire Caves After Dark special for um, First Contact. So if you are interested at all, Watch First Contact. We will announce when we're going to do that, of course. And that's going to be what the whole show is about. It's about the movie uh, First Contact and how it kind of shapes what happens in Trek to come. Now, the reason that I was making David wait to watch the episode or to watch the movie over the episode was because, for me, it's the uniform change. And this is the one that I've been wanting to talk about forever. Now, they even highlighted in the episode, there's even a a scene where Bashir's like, tell me, does my uniform look brighter to you? It was a a flagrant, hey, look, things have changed. And they just were, you know, whatever. But these, to me are the Apex Trek uniforms. These they are the best. Fantastic. These yeah. are the, the best the uniforms will ever be. I've seen what comes after this with Discovery, and you know, and I've seen the throwbacks and the redesign of the throwbacks for like Strange New Worlds and so forth. And while they, they're nice, don't get me wrong, this look right here is it's perfect. It's it's so clean it's to the point it's not bulky you know it, it's great it, they just they look great and yeah. um uh you know cisco is wearing we take was, two seconds and talk about them because they yeah they oh we're going good. to well you want to wait and talk yeah about them, so, so we're gonna yeah no we'll okay, okay. well so okay. We'll, we'll wait we'll get there because that okay. scene All is right. important where the whole <laughs> does this look different so we'll get there so okay. um yes yeah, so we're not here to talk about any of the other nonsense we are here to talk about deep space nine of course and this episode rapture what a great title um I'm excited for this episode. I've been excited for this episode. This is a gr- just great, fantastic. It's a phenomenal job. So much stuff is happening here, and it's all, yeah. all so important. If you if you don't watch this episode, the, literally the things that come next just don't have the same impact. They just don't. This episode is very important, and it doesn't seem that way, but I'm going to point it out to you. I'm going to make sure you understand <laughs> why this episode is key to everything that comes next, okay? Right. So, so you're recapping it. Oh, okay. Course. I was like, okay, I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, but I'll I'll do it. I will definitely do it. All Go right. It. So, on. this episode uh, again, Rapture. It starts with um, Cisco, Kira, and Dax are sitting in the ward room. The ward room, not war room. I know that gets confused because of later, but anyway, ward room. And there is a painting in front of them, and it is a painting of an ancient Bajoran city called Bahala. 
Now, the history of Bahala is that it was a major uh, hub on Bajor some 20,000 years ago, and something happened to it that caused it to be lost to time. And in particular, in the painting, there is a display of a, a giant uh, spire that Cisco tells the story of, and it's basically, it's been cobbled together by all these extremely tight-fitting stones, and it's got these placards on the side, which are supposed to mark uh, the position of Bahala in relation to the stars. And, um, you know, because the, the painting is the only true reference that they have, or only remaining reference that Bahala ever actually existed, according to our mythology, it's, you know, it, it's, a, it's essentially a myth. Um, there, since the spire contains this record and this painting is of the spire, there's no way to truly tell um, where Bahala is. Cisco orders to have the thing scanned, stored in the computer's memory. They're going to send the painting on. He slowly but surely becomes a bit obsessed with this uh, painting. He goes to the holodeck. He has a, an actual spire recreated. He blows up the image. He's doing his, you know, photo manipulation that they do in the, you know, the 24th century equivalent of CSI on the on the painting and he's able to clarify some of the images and he is making some headway on this puzzle. Quark comes in, interrupts him, letting him know he's basically been in there for, you know, several hours. He asked to, Cisco asked to have the program saved. Quark doesn't save it. He kind of pisses Cisco off or annoys him a little bit. So Cisco decides to do it himself, at which point the whole holographic system and everything else uh explodes and he gets electrified and that's kind of the beginning of the episode um next part that we see is he's in you know he's in sick bay and bashir is telling him about some polarization of his neural whatever's in his head basically making him see sharper the colors are brighter edges are sharper everything's crisper cleaner which is a nice wink and a nod to the uniforms because those uniforms were definitely crisp and clean and um, and uh, it was just it was you know nice little like I said wink of the nod there. But he basically telling him, hey, you know, yeah, you you were electrocuted, but you're all right. Uh, things are going to seem pretty awesome uh, spectrally for you for a while. If you have any side effects, come back. You know, you know where uh, you know where I'll be. Right. So he goes off. He continues on this kind of uh, working on the spire. He has dinner with Jake. Jake cooks for him. Um, and through the meal, he begins to see these shapes. He's able to put it together, and eventually he is able to determine where um, Bahala is. Like, he's got at least got a good idea. Um, at the same time, Cassidy Yates, uh, now free from prison, has come back and is ready to resume her life again. Uh, Jake makes a statement about how she's been gone for six months, she's paid her debt to society, and that Ben should give her a chance, but at that time, Ben wasn't really listening to him. She shows up in the holodeck, he kisses her quite passionately for a woman he hasn't seen in six months, um, and then they're off to Bajor, where um, he does find Bahala. Now, while all this is happening, it's important to note that the Federation has decided that 
they are finally ready to accept Bajor into the Federation. The petition is got got the gold stamp and let's move ahead and officially formalize the induction of this new planet into the Federation. Now, there's a celebration going on because if you're in Starfleet, that's like your favorite thing to do is to have a, a new civilization join the join the Federation collective, right? And so, you know, Cisco, not Cisco, but Worf and Dax are in Quark's. Quark does his own little display. He gets part of it wrong. Um, but overall, again, they're having a party. Um, Cisco, again, that's why he had gone back up to the holodeck and whatever else. Um, and now he's off to Bahala, as, or to Bajor to find Bahala, and he does. Admiral Watley is the admiral who first tells Ben about the acceptance of Bajor into the Federation, and then he shows up in order to start getting preparation done for the the induction ceremony and all that. But meanwhile, Cisco starts having these visions. He's having these kind of out of body experiences. In fact, um, he has what Kira calls uh, a Paktemfar, which is a sacred vision. And um, uh, it was basically him saying how he could kind of see how everything fit together, their whole story and what everything was. He almost understood it all. And that seems to be what the visions are doing for him. Um, He is starting to have some other side effects from this explosion now. Beyond just visions, he's also being, you know, racked with pain from increasingly severe headaches. Um, Kai Wen, our favorite Kai Wen shows up because of the induction ceremony, of course. At first, right. she's really hesitant about being on board with the with the induction. But then after Cisco finds Bahala, she's like, oh, no, he's definitely got to be the emissary. I'm going to get out of this guy's way. And she and Kira exchange a very interesting conversation in which they talk about the you know the occupation and how they both experienced it and how they both came through it and we're going to get to that conversation because like i said very interesting uh little bit there and um i have to say now i'll tease it now with i hate to admit that i agreed with kai win like because she (laughs) she bothers me yeah Um, there's definitely a turning point with her this episode go ahead yeah um so uh now Cisco is he's trying to figure out what all the visions mean and he's trying to you know basically kind of hold off Watley a little bit because Watley's ready to like pressure him into like let's get this done let's keep this moving you're our point man and, and you know the, the ceremony is great and all but now the real work begins Bajor's military has to be folded into Starfleet uh, we gotta pick council representatives we've got like there's just so much stuff that needs to be done and you're our guy for it and here you are you know off doing archaeological things you're not picard like get back on the station (laughs) do your work you know right um so so cisco again tries to put him off a little bit but then when he finally does come back to the station he's like super you know emissary now and he's having visions for people and telling people where they need to be and where they need to go he comments on the admiral's been fighting with his son and he's like oh don't worry about it your kid forgives you and so forth they give Ben a workup and they realize that his situation has deteriorated far worse than they 
initially suspected. And now it's to the point where if he doesn't have this surgery to correct this, he's going to die. Um, But Cisco doesn't want to correct it. He wants the visions to continue because it's become increasingly important that he see the whole picture. Um, He talks with Jake and Cassidy about it, and they're just really kind of just shocked and upset that he's going to, you know, risk his life for these visions that they feel are just silly. Um, but he decides anyway, he's going to just, he's going to go through with it. Kai Wynn comes into their quarters. Jake is shocked to say the least that, um, that she's there and that Cisco has tried to place his, decided to place his trust in her. They go, which I'm assuming they go to her quarters. Cause I didn't, I, it, the room that they were in for the vision the, the orb experience didn't make sense to me at first because you know it, like they tried to shroud it and at first I thought they had right. gone like to the temple or something but then when they do the like background shot or whatever you can clearly see like furniture and a living space in there so I'm assuming they just went to her quarters where she had the orb yeah. set up they just to be... had the orb of prophecy with yeah <laughs> like I mean I guess since she's the Kai she can just like take it wherever she wants and so yeah right. she just you know that's what she did and he's like he's having a whole you know, pain attack and everything else, but he goes through with the orb experience. Um, Meanwhile, again, the Federation is ready to move on with the induction ceremony. They tried to wait for Ben, but he's just not available. The orb experience could take quite a long time. So Kai, Kai Wynn says, so they begin the ceremony and they're just getting started when a very crazed, deranged Cisco bursts into the room and takes everybody's attention and basically says that Bajor cannot join the Federation now. It's too soon. They have to wait. If Bajor joins the Federation now, Bajor will be destroyed. So, of course, to the room of very, you know, first awestruck and then panicked Bajorans, their emissary telling them not to do the thing, they're not going to do it. So they don't. Uh, Bajor does not join the Federation at this time. Uh, Admiral Wally is quite upset and depending on who you talk to rightly so um, but because of Ben's status with the Bajoran people they can't really do anything to him so you know so if they want Bajor to join the Federation at all they're going to have to basically leave Ben alone he gets a pass and so right. Ben just kind of tells the Admiral well, he does tell the Admiral he's like they're Bajor will join the Federation just not right now they can't do it right now because something's coming and so, based upon Ben's visions, we know that there is something coming in regards to the Dominion and Cardassia and how all this is getting ready to play out. We don't have all the answers yet, but we know that something major is coming. And Ben has kind of been our our focal point for seeing that. Um, they end up having the surgery. They correct it. Ben wakes up from the surgery. He's distraught that they took away his visions. Um and he eventually goes home and it seems like Jake was kind of afraid that maybe his dad was going to be mad, upset with him about what he did. But in classic, the Cisco family tradition, you know, it does seem like Ben is a little bit hesitant at first to kind of come back to them initially. But then once, you know, once they're together, they're just, you know, great family yeah. unit. It was a great way to end it and the inclusion of Cassidy kind of solidifying, you know, at least unofficially that she is, you know, in this family with them together. That's that's the three of them now. And um that is essentially how the episode ends, you know, with the hand holding and the whatever. And uh 
That's it. Now, yes, those are the highlights. If you want to go and get the full details, which you should, this is a fantastic episode, you can go watch it. You can watch all this episode and all the other Trek episodes on Paramount Plus, or as I like to call it at my house, Star Trek Plus, because that's the only thing I really watch on Paramount (laughs) is Star Trek. So there you go. Um, So, yes, that, that is it. Do you think I hit all the necessary points here? Yeah, the only thing I don't think you quite mentioned was that Kai Wynn had expressed that she didn't want to join the Federation. It's only been five years since Bajor became free, and she's afraid that the Federation is going to cause them to lose their identity. Of course, we also know Kai Wynn's kind of power-hungry, so it's more like you just don't want to lose – you don't want to have to answer to anybody. Um, So that's why the conversation her and Kira is important. Because she says, I never really believed that Cisco was the emissary, and now obviously he is. I can't deny it anymore. I'm going to listen to him, and I accept that if we're going to join the Federation because he wants us to, then that's the right thing to do. So when it turns out that Cisco comes in and says, no, don't do it, she's kind of vindicated, but not in the way or for the not reasons the, that we right. expected. Yeah. And she also alludes to the fact that she always thought of Cisco as her enemy, which we knew based upon the way that she interacted with him. But this is the first time that she kind of roundabout admits it because she says in the, in one of the later scenes, she says, you know, before I, I came to the station, before all this happened, you know, my path was clear, but now I don't know who my enemies are, which is, again, her saying at one point before all this, it was clear to her that Cisco and, you know, basically everybody on the station were were enemies to her and and her goals. And uh, now she's not so sure because she has to admit that he is a person who is touched and guided by the prophets. So there you go. Yeah. So first impressions of this episode. Yeah, it's definitely a really good one because it's interesting. I mean, Avery Brooks is the best actor on the show, <laughs> just hands down. Yeah. Everyone else does a great job in their part, in their role, but whenever Avery Brooks is allowed to be center, take, yes, I mean, he takes his scenes and he makes something of them. When he's having to, like, when he's in front of the orb of prophecy and he's experiencing these headaches, Avery Brooks, man, he's... He's shaking. He's he's got a headache. You know, you yeah. can tell that Cisco's dealing with something uh, when he comes into the room afterward, and he's as you said, kind of crazed. Same thing. Um, but yeah, when he, more when so he, than all that, when he bursts through the door and stumbles into the wall and is trying to push yeah. and struggle. It's like, yeah, he's uh, he's definitely enjoying the the physical nature right. here of, of this scene. Yeah. Exactly. But more importantly than all that, which is great, is those small little moments. When Avery Brooks talks in his low whisper, <laughs> that, man, that low threatening rumble. Voice. Yeah, that oh, little yeah. rumble. He, yeah, I know what you're talking yeah, about. He's got Avery Brooks has a great voice and yeah. he uses it very well. Um, yes. You know, I, I will say that I think that for Star Trek, they do a pretty good job of casting people with quite clear distinctive voices you know um they're they're just unmistakable i mean I, like i i can't think of anybody else who could ever even come close to approximating uh patrick stewart or or leonard mm-hmm. nimoy um you know deforest kelly uh, a, um, avery brooks michael dorn they these yeah. people have really great voices that are just so 
I mean, you could see, you could hear them on other shows, and it's just like even before you see them, you hear them, and you instantly know who that is. You know, though, right. they've they've done a great job of cornering that market on people. Because I don't care what what Patrick Stewart's in ever. Mm-hmm. If I hear his voice, I know that that's him. I don't have to see it. I know that that's him. You right. know, so right. yeah, yeah, yeah. He, um, but, but yeah, I just like the emphasis for me of of him in those kind of quieter moments. He really starts to enjoy this little puzzle of the of the Bajoran model. What is it? The 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 spire. Yeah. Um, when oh, you're I talking mean, about when when Kira comes in and wakes him up from his Pactum far, and he's all well, there's, yeah. There's I could that smell moment. the incense burning on yeah. the wind. I could hear the bells ringing in the yes. temple. He's yeah yeah right. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, as you pointed out in your recap, it's Picard who's supposed to be the the amateur archaeologist. But no, Cisco gives him a run for his money. He yeah. is he's totally into it. Um, and you know, this is the first time. Well, not the first time. Maybe this is the first time he's really been kind of abandoned to his love of Bajor. Like we've seen him learn about Bajor and, and enjoy it. But this is the first time where he really embraces anything yeah, to do think, with being the emissary. I think that's the key word there, that this is the first time we've seen him really embrace his role. When we right. first see Cisco in season one in the pilot, and they're like, you're going to be the emissary, he's completely just not into it. And then right. over time, it's more like, I'm not for this, but if it's a tool I can use, I will I will take it. And then eventually right. that becomes... And use it very gently. Yes. Never abuse it. Yeah. And then it becomes kind of a, I sort of kind of tolerate this, but I'm not going to indulge. I'm not going to use it. He schedules you know, different drills and stuff to make sure he's not available for festivities and stuff that are supposed to be in his honor. You know, we see him do things like that. And now, you know, we we saw the episode where he willingly gave up the title of emissary and let that other guy take it. And, you know, when that, when he realized that guy was doing, you know, basically doing it wrong, he was ready to (laughs) assume the mantle again. And now finally he's like, I'm the emissary. I'm, I'm getting pictures dropped off just for me because I'm the emissary and uh, I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, go and study the spire because I can. And like, yeah, this is the first time we see him. He's just really, really into it. He's not fighting it at all. And when any, and even to the point where when other people would try to throw up roadblocks for him being in that mindset, he distances himself from them. He pushes them away. He keeps them away. Even, even his own son. I need to do this. Yeah. Uh, even his own son, as you said, like when he when he comes out of having the surgery, he is distraught. Mm-hmm. There is kind of a initially a, 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 a like a, a wall between him and, and Jake. You're like you 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 did this to me, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I think you kind of forgot to mention. Like, there's a big old kind of argument at the, at the end of the episode. Cisco's dying. Do we obey his wishes? Yes. To and, let and him Jake keep has his to and, and Jake has to make the choice. And right. Jake is like, you know, yeah, I know that you want to see. That's what he says. I know that you want to see this through, but I need you. And yes. he tells, you know, tells uh, Julian to to do it, do the surgery. Right. You know. Right. Exactly. Um, and that's a very poignant moment because, of course, we know that they love each other, and that's why it's also kind of heartbreaking to see Cisco kind of losing himself a bit to these visions, uh, as uh, both Jake and um, what's her name, um, Cassidy. Cassidy are calling, trying to call him back. 
Um, but I want to go back real quick. The thing also, it's not just that he embraces being the emissary. This is the first time he seems to really fully embrace the like Bajoran culture. Like we've seen mm-hmm. him go to Bajor to see this thing or that thing. He's going on vacation. But this is the first time he's like, I know what those symbols mean. I know what like, like he is passionate before the emissary stuff kicks in um, about Bajor as like a people, as a history. Not that he hasn't been interested. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that his his level of interest and, and passion and dedication has reached a new level, and the emissary kind of rising up within him uh, is a, an example of that kind of coming together and taking hold, uh, which is again exemplified when he's walking on the station and he's a messiah figure. He's yeah, looking at he's people. very he's much like, yeah. He's, he's your seed crop is going to do well this year. Tell your son, or you and your son are going to be back together. Very, uh, I mean, again, like, part of me is like, that looks a lot like what Jesus was doing in some ways, but in other ways, it almost feels a little, like, a little sleazy. I'm like, that's exactly how. I'm sure they were trying to draw this kind of messianic parallel. I'm sure sure that that was the point. Now, again, this is one of those situations with with all sci-fi, but I know in particular with Star Trek, they do tend to struggle with, which is the representation of religion and spirituality, especially when they're having to create that for a whole other race and culture. And they borrow a lot, obviously from, you know, earth and earth religions Mm -hmm. and try to cobble things together. So there's going to be a lot of things they don't get right or that they have to blatantly change and, and so forth. And I think that, you know, like it's one of those things, like if if you necessarily hate to say it, but if you are a religious person, I really feel like you probably have to like get out of yourself to still enjoy an episode like and, this. And there's certainly that. There's certainly part of me going like, okay, there, this is a fictional setting. We're doing fictional stuff. It's always, I guess, I've, I've realized part of the reason why it kind of it kind of gets at me a little bit more is like if we were in a purely fictional setting, you know, this isn't Earth in the future. This isn't, you know, this isn't. To the year, this isn't the century of the 24th century. This is this is future history. This is if we were in a fictional universe altogether. Again, Lord of the Rings has its own fictional mythology, but it's it's entirely fictional. So that's my point. It's like part of me is like, well, you know, Earth history has has history to it. So we go into anyway. I want to just back up and say that um, the Cisco moment of him walking around talking to people felt a little funny, but I get it. And part of what's been interesting is to see the idea. I mean, if the prophets are outside of time and space, then a lot of what happens there makes sense. He's saying, I'm now connected to beings outside of time and space, and therefore they're able to have knowledge about things that I'm now able to communicate. So it is an interesting moment. Yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't fit with the characters or with the, the fictional history here. It actually does. Um, and it, it is a loss when he is no longer able to see the visions. I, you know, so, it, it was yeah. that moment. Uh, you know, I I thought about that because obviously I went back and watched this episode again, and I I thought about that like trying to imagine that for a second. Like you are a person who has this kind of uh, clarity, right? And then it's suddenly taken away from you, and the profound sense of loss that that would have generated. You know, um, I couldn't I couldn't imagine like I was trying, I really did try, but I couldn't imagine there being anything that would be comparable to that. Um, and so, yeah, just like I think that they did a great job of kind of exemplifying his 
um, his his sense of loss here for that. And I did like right. the fact that when he did come back to Jake and Cassidy at the end, he, you know, seemed hesitant. He seemed like he wasn't sure he wanted to be there. And it wasn't until they made, you know, physical contact that he was like, yes, you know, this is, this is yeah. my family. These, this is where I need to, this is where I need to be, you know, right. um, because that's also been a major part of Ben's story. Like as we've watched the story of Ben Cisco unfold, you know, we've always talked about the cornerstone of the man is the fact that he is very much invested in his family and right. in, in the, the growth and development of his son. And um, now we see Jake at 18 years old here. He's, you know, from, from our standpoint, Jake is a grown man, but at the same time, it's like, he's still a kid. He's still, a boy compared to his father and there's still a lot he can learn from his father and experiences they can have together and things like that. And, um, you know, and then he's just now kind of really getting the chance to grow whatever this is with Cassidy, you know, she's just now gotten back and it seems like he's very much into, you know, her and and them continuing the relationship. He tells her he loves her. He, you know, obviously, as I said earlier, he kisses her quite passionately when they uh, are reunited for the first time. You know, it almost seems like he's propositioning her at one point because he kisses her. And then when they break the kiss, he's like, what are you doing for the next few hours? (laughs) This is like, whoa, boy, slow down. I know. I I guess you've been, you know, saving up for the past six months. (laughs) We get it. But uh, yeah, saving for a dinner out, a dinner out, yeah, yes, and a dinner in a movie, oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's it. Saving, saving his latinum for a, for a, a, a dinner date. Sorry, yeah, exactly. Guess I got to keep this keep PG thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, and even she seems a little taken aback at first, and then he's like, "Yeah, nah, it's we got to." I've been saving for my vacation to take you to Bahala, so come on, let's go. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's just like he's obviously he's very committed to these individuals and he wants them to be with him and wants to be with them. So, yeah, I just I did love that moment um, where he just kind of had that sense of loss. And then we see the recovery after. Right. Um, So now there's another scene that I want to talk about um, that we kind of hinted at earlier. And it is the scene where um, it's shortly after the discovery of Bahala. Kai Wen uh, comes to Kira and she's in the office with, she's in the security office with Odo and Worf and they're discussing the arrangements for where the various captains and admirals are going to, you know, have their quarters or whatever. And so she comes in and she asks to speak to Kira. They walk out onto the promenade and she's just like, you know, hey, you know, do you, how do you, well, do you know Captain Sisko? I want to know because I want to ask his forgiveness. I realize now he truly is the emissary, and I, I've, I've always been against him, and I want to right. no longer be in his way. I want right. to follow the path. So, right. do you think he will forgive me? And Kira's like, I'm just really surprised at you for saying this, because um, you know, basically, it's kind of like the words that Kira doesn't say, which we all want her to say, is I'm really surprised because you've always been such a bitch. But uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> we just, we just, hey, we're towing the line here. We're towing the line. I, I guess, I guess if it's on national TV, you're going PG, not yes. PG thirteen, but yeah. Um, Keep going, sorry. But yeah, so then she's asking him, and then she's asking these questions, and then uh, you know, Kaiwen 
turns to her and basically just kind of lays it out for her. She's like, you know, you guys in the resistance think that you all single-handedly fought the Cardassians and freed Bajor, you know, but, um, you know, I was in a prison camp as well. I was a prisoner for five years and, you know, the, the Cardassians were arresting everybody who was still openly teaching about the prophets, you know? So I was in a prison camp for five years as well. And I was beaten many times. What she says, I, I, I can remember every beating I received and all I had was my faith while you had your weapons, you know? Right. So, you know, it's kind of a, you know, cause Kira's kind of calling her out at first being like, I just kind of always thought you were a coward, you know, basically it takes great. That's what Kira says. It takes Courage, courage to admit when yes. you're wrong yes, and and uh, and kai win is very offended by that yeah very like, I had courage yeah not the kind of courage you expressed but i had courage yeah so it's it's a great scene because once yeah. again louise fletcher our you know kai win she she's a phenomenal actress she, she just absolutely is she's we great haven't seen her in a while we have it's not seen her in a while and um, as always, you know, whenever she shows up, she delivers. She 100% delivers. And she was great in this scene. And as much as I hate Kai Wen, I had to agree with her in this because it's like we do forget that. we. It's so easy to forget because Kai Wen is such an ambitious and also malicious individual that it's easy to forget that she was also oppressed and subjugated to these horrific tortures and brutalizations and so forth and she points out like you know that she wasn't a part of a resistance cell she wasn't running through the hills and shooting Cardassians and whatever else she was just a spiritual leader all she had was her prayers to get her through and it's just like can you imagine what that would do to a person when you choose to not fight back but you instead take the beatings you take the torture you take these things day in day out for however long and you have no idea when the occupation is going to end you know it's been going on for 50 years what makes you think it's not going to go on 50 more you know and she's just doing this thing and then yeah for kira to kind of smack her in the face about having courage It, it obviously stung her, but I mean, I just I, I listened yeah. to it and I was like, I mean, she's absolutely right. Like, I just that's how I thought. That's exactly my first thought, and I was like, she's absolutely right. And then my next thought was, damn, I hate that she's right. Like, I just don't <laughs> I don't like her so much, but she's right. <laughs> well, what's what's funny about that scene is bec- the reason that scene is so great is because Kai Wen does express, and I've had courage, but the problem is, is that um, Kira should have said it takes humility. To admit when you're wrong. Because that has been Kai Wynn's problem the whole time. Yeah. She hasn't been a very humble person. She hasn't been very modest. I mean, on one hand, it, we, if we understand her character as someone who takes her faith seriously and has been aggressive in defending it from what she thinks are threats. Like, for example, why is a foreigner, an alien, the emissary? You know, you know, Cisco isn't a Bajoran. Why are... Why is he the one who gets to claim the mantle of emissary? It should be a, a, a Bajoran, right? That kind of thing makes sense on some level. But I imagine that part of what she as a character is experiencing is that being the Kai demands things of her, and it also demands that when she's in a public, she's in a public spotlight for one. So she has to kind of be on her performance. Kind of has to be on, if you will, a bit more. But she also has to 
like really take to heart a lot of the things that she might preach to other people. You're like trust in the prophets. Well, trust in the prophets. If the emissary is Cisco and that's been proven beyond a doubt, are you going to follow your own words or are you going to prove yourself a hypocrite? And so it's not that she wasn't courageous throughout her life trying to do what she thought was right, being a faithful uh, Bajoran to her beliefs, but it's that she's experienced a new level of humility and modesty that hasn't been there before. And it makes Kai win a more interesting character. It really I, did. I, it actually made her, again, I hate that I'm going to say this, it made her likable in this episode. Yes. Right. I hated that I. I felt sympathetic but towards that's her. that's good writing, which is it why really, you love the show. It really, it, it, it was. I was just like, because I don't, I don't like her. I've never liked her. We're gonna yeah. see more things coming up, and I, yeah, I feel like, and and I know I'm not the only one. I've there's enough stuff out there in Trekdom where people are like, oh, she's such a great character to to love to hate, you know. Right. But yeah, it's it's because of moments like this where you for a long, like she says, you kind of knew who the enemy was. And right. now it's not clear because she's right. she's this whole episode. She was so understanding and uh, supportive, and she got out of Cisco's way, which is what we were wanting all along. And you know, what the point she makes to Kira is a hundred percent valid. And it's just like you, you, it makes you reframe how you look at her, at least for the time being, because it's like, yeah, she was never. She was only ever interested in what was the best for Bajor. She wants what's best for Bajor, which is what you want in not just a spiritual leader, but in a leader of your your people. You want someone right. who is trying to put your best interests first, put them forward. Right. And if that's if there is one thing we can say is consistent about Kaiwen, that would be it. Um, now she does have her own ambition. She definitely wants to keep herself in a position of power and influence. That's another reason why she bucked up against Cisco because she was finally starting to get what she wanted. She was going to be, she was the head Vedic, you know, that was going to be next in line to be Kai and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, here comes this alien foreigner who is now the emissary, a position that is even more revered and sacred than Kai. And it just, you know, definitely, I could see that burning you up. If you think about something that you've been going for forever, and then someone comes along and only do they totally usurp you for that role, but they just totally then eclipse you with a whole other position that, in a sense, makes you irrelevant. Because as the Kai, she was supposed to be this, the leader of her people. Now, all of a sudden, here comes the emissary, and he is the leader. They look to him. She can say whatever she wants to, but if the emissary steps out and says, no, we're going to do this, right. all, all the Bajorans are going to do what he says. Yep. So, yeah, that I could, I, again, this episode makes her quite compelling. It makes her understandable. And, again, this is, like, this is why I'm saying this episode is so important because there are a lot of things that are going on here with these characters that – this episode lets you know what's getting ready to happen. Like all this stuff is coming up and will be important again. Kaiwen being confused about who her enemies are and not understanding her place right now in the grand design of what the prophets um, want for her and from her is huge. That is, that's a huge point uh, for the next, well, pretty much the rest of the show. Um, Cisco and his odd connection to the prophets and uh 
what they're trying to get him to do and his place in all of this the rest of the show that is going to be a central focus for the rest of it okay um cassidy who has been gone from us for they say six months but i really feel like it's been like a year um uh she's back and she was if you did you notice how like um and i I know vincent pointed it out here a minute ago um (laughs) that cassidy coming back should have been a bigger deal than it was and it and it was overshadowed completely by the visions that Cisco was having, but also it forced her, or not, I guess not forced her, but it put her into a position to where she was intensely supportive of Jake and the Cisco family unit. So it took a lot of pressure off of her trying to reestablish herself as this, like the, what, what the questions that we should have been asking about Cassidy were things like, where is she going to stay? Um, I know that Cisco took care of that right away, but still, that should have been a question. What's her What's her position? What's her title? Is she going to be a freighter captain again? Where's her ship? Was her ship impounded? Does she get that back now that she served her time or not? Um, is she that that job that she was you know aiming for and whatever else a while back? Is that job still available to her? You know, or or not? Like, there's so many questions and uncertainty for her in that role, but they took care of all that because it was like it's pretty much established that she's now a part of their family unit. You know, they're not living together, but it's basically them. That's it. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, as you point out, I mean, at the end of the episode, it's basically the three of them. She's back from her six months in prison, running. You know stuff for the marquee which i have to say six months doesn't sound like enough time but whatever. if i remember um, correctly i'm gonna have to go back and watch the episode but i'm pretty sure she was supposed to serve two years and who else was it that only served six months for a sentence of some kind? garrick um, garrick for genocide his, yeah. his attempted genocide and for the striking of a starfleet oh, officer because he fought war yeah. and he was sentenced to six to months say, yeah <laughs> the man. federation justice system man they don't want yeah no what, yeah, do, you, what mean, do you mean jail time? No, six months is the maximum for traitors. And and, <laughs> and if you watch if you watch Star Trek Voyager, there's another person on the on on Voyager who, when we were introduced to the character, he's in prison. But where is his prison? It's a New Zealand penal colony, but it's the most luxurious penal colony I've ever seen. Tom Paris is doing some work for the Federation on their on their New Zealand penal colony, and when uh, Captain Janeway shows up to recruit him, she's walking with him at one point to tell him about the mission she wants to recruit him for. Dude, it's like fresh mowed grass. There's birds <laughs> chirping in the sunlight. He's just walking around. Out there. He's got to wear an ugly jumpsuit. I could a crime for that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was like, hell, take me to jail right now. Yeah. I mean, he's working. They're feeding him. He doesn't have to do anything. I mean, like, I was like, come on. Come on. And yeah. it's just, it's the most, I, right next to the beach. And he's mm-hmm. just like, come on. Yeah, I'd yeah. go to, yeah, I'll go to Federation prison. I'll go right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll go right now. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, Federation prisons, uh, yeah, are, are clearly, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to say they're a joke because we don't know what the full whatever of them are. I'm sure there's right. a lot of focus on rehabilitation and not doing it again. But yeah, uh, 
It seems like everybody's sentence is commuted to six months. You you attempted to commit suicide, six months in jail. You were a drug runner, or a, you know, she was a gun runner. She was transporting weapons. Well, did she did she run weapons? I thought she yeah. was only running. No, like, the first like, time she was running medical supplies. The second time when she got caught, it was weapons. Uh, it was weapons. Right. So she was. And who was it? Edding. What's the guy's name? Edding- Eddington. Eddington, yeah, Michael Eddington. He was the, the real Maquis spy, and he used her to get his hands on the Class 5 replicators that were going to be sent to a then-decimated Cardassia. So, right. Right. yes. Yep, we haven't seen him yet. I don't know if we'll see him anymore, but I mean, he's been gone for a bit. That yeah. was the last time we saw Cassidy. Well, it hasn't, the last... it, hasn't quite, okay. it hasn't quite been six months for old Michael Eddington yet. We seem to be on a six-month rotation. Garrett came back in six <laughs> months. Cassidy's back in six months. So six yeah. months and Eddington should pop up. Right. Uh, I just, uh, it reminded me to mention, I think the last time we saw Kai Wynn was the same episode where we got introduced to um, – Who's Kira's boyfriend now? Uh, Shakar. Shakar. Uh, who became first minister. Yes. Other than the episode where he came to help negotiate the Federation, you know, joining the Federation, he wasn't in this episode. I mean, it was last season that he was in, so I don't know if we're going to see him anymore. I mean, him and Kira are supposedly still an item, but his absence in this episode is noticeable as the supposed leader of Bajor. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, you know there, what? That's but... a, that's a good point because they're supposed to be doing this whole induction into the Federation. Why wouldn't your first minister be there? Especially I'm... when part of the episode is we need the militia, we need the the, the military of Bajor to be incorporated into the we're, Federation. Yeah, we're also going to be looking for council members to sit on the Federation council. Why wouldn't your right. first minister be like the first person you choose, yeah, or be, or at exactly. least be in the talks with? Right, or be how in that role that would be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so his absence is noticeable. I mean, don't don't tell me, but part of me wants to know. Part of me, what does want you to tell me is we're going to see him again, but I don't know if it matters or not. You know, we'll find I will. Out. I mean, it doesn't necessarily matter per se, but I will say yes, we do see him again. Good. Okay. Yeah. I hope so because yeah. I like him as a character. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would have been hard to get him in there without him kind of overshadowing shadowing Kai Wynn a bit, or at the very least just taking up space in the episode. I think so that's, I, I, that might have also been sense. why they – I think that might have been why they didn't do it because it having to have a justification for why he was there be, and, and then like he would – I mean, there is a justification for having him, but if, right. they, if we then didn't – use him very much because the focal point of the story was about Cisco and the prophets and trying to interpret the message they were giving him. This would have required a more spiritual component than a political one. So even though, yes, to our way of thinking for the political aspect of what was going on, he should have been there. Shakar is too important a character to be a fly on the wall, basically. So that makes sense as to why he wouldn't. Yeah, his absence makes sense on a tip on a just purely logistical reason. Mm-hmm. We don't have time or space for his character to show up, so he's not here. Um, however, I will say it would have been fun to get him there to have him and Kai Win kind of butt heads a little bit. Uh, you know, I don't think we should join the Federation, but I'm submitting to the emissaries. Yada yada yada. But again, he wouldn't have had time to be in the episode, so it's okay that he's gone. Especially if he comes back later. I, I do want to see him again. Um, yeah. So, by the way, uh, 
seeing as how we're an hour into the episode, do you think yeah. we should mention that little password? So I guess we should, since I've already said it twice <laughs> in the episode. So if you were paying attention, you're probably like, yeah, he said the same thing here. But I will go ahead and say it. So as you all know, we are having a contest. And the contest is to win a Federation medallion that you can affix to any glass container. It just, you know, it's metal. It has adhesive on there. You stick it on and then, bam, you've got an official Federation mug. Um, uh, you can order one of these yourself or you can participate in our contest and perhaps win one for free. So all you'll have to do is comment the keyword or phrase that we use in both this episode and next week's episode. You can't just do one. you got to do both to be entered into the contest where you will be potentially picked and then we'll contact you to send you the thing. But the key word for this episode is Paktemfar. So now I've said it three times. I'm not going to say it again. So if you've listened, you should know what it is. In order to enter the contest, you must comment on the video, the keyword, and then we will enter you in. It's just that simple. Okay. Um, And everything will be completely free for you. We will send you the medallion. You don't have to pay for it. You don't even have to pay for shipping. The only thing you have to do is run your little fingers across the keyboard and uh, put in the key phrase there. And if you don't know how to spell it, uh, Google is your friend. You can find it listed pretty much anywhere. I know that they've got it on uh, Wikipedia. I also know that Memory Alpha has it written and they also give you a nice little um, definition and a couple of other examples if you are interested in doing some kind of deep dive on the lore of it. So there you go. I said it twice earlier and now I just said it again so you're good to go. Um, Good luck. There you go. There you go. So there, we've already got one person who's entered in who spelled it, who also <laughs> spelled it correctly. So uh, yeah, you can just copy and paste. And all we're gonna do um, is for every entry that we get, or not for every entry, because obviously if you write it a bajillion times, no. But we're just going to take your name, write it, put it in the hat, basically draw it out, and then right. if we, if you, if you, your name gets pulled. We'll reach out to you to get your information, to send you the thing. If you don't respond to us, then we'll go and draw another name. And we'll do another name and another name and another name until we get somebody who responds. Well, we'll draw three times. And if no one responds, I'm not going to be drawing forever. We'll draw three times. And if we if no one responds... <laughs> Then you know we'll do something else later on, but there you go. So we'll keep the medallion for ourselves. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't mind. We're share it. But <laughs> it's we'll we'll solder it in half. There you That's go. What we'll do. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I mean, we've talked a lot about this episode. And obviously, like I said, there are so many things. Oh well, we have to talk about the one thing: the uniforms. We started oh. off, and we said we we're going to come back to it. As I said early on, these are, to me, the Apex Trek uniforms. I know there are plenty of people who are fans of the original series uniform. I know that the Next Generation uniform also has a lot of people who just love it. I know I was in that camp for a very long time. Um, The variant of that that we saw the most on Deep Space Nine, where instead of it being black on the shoulders and then the main color in the body, like on Next Generation, Deep Space Nine reversed that and it was the color on the shoulders and then black in the main body. Mm -hmm. I was never really a fan of that. Um, 
and then they they took that and ran with it on Voyager. Um, but I was never really a fan of that. I do, however, like the dress uniforms because the dress uniform is basically again the black shoulders, the color in the main body, and then it's the extra long version, and it has the little gold trim on the collar and lapel flap or whatever. But these uniforms here are the best with the gray, black body, and then the undershirt being the yeah. color designation for the for the department that they work in. Right. Best look. It's the absolute best look. And, the, and then you've got the com badge, how it sparkles, how it shines. <laughs> Such a crisp, crisp uniform. It looks great. Hold on. I, I have to put one in for the running. Picard, when he gets his jacket and he starts rocking the jacket, uh, what do you think? I do like <laughs> I like the Picard smoker jacket, but I don't like the overall look because whenever he wore that jacket, the shirt he wore underneath it was this ugly. It was like black, but then it was gray in in the. Right. I, I didn't like that shirt. I hated that shirt. Yeah. I was like, either yeah. either make it all black or make it all gray. Don't give me this yeah. weird like it, it looks like you tried to print a uniform from the replicator, but the uniform color was <laughs> color cartridge was out. I, I don't like that at all. Uh, I always thought it was funny that he's the only one who has it because it makes sense. Like he's the captain, but it feels like it, it kind of it, it goes against the whole Federation like purpose of like everyone has the same uniform, only difference is color. And suddenly here comes Picard, all decked out with his with his jacket, and he's looking all fly. And you're like, uh. I, I mean, I like it kind of, but now you feel out of out of groove with everyone else. Well, like you're, and it also you're showing makes, off now. <laughs> it also made Picard just seem so weird and oddly stuffy that okay, even in your off time, you're still wearing some kind of uniform variant. You don't have a T-shirt you can put on, man. You know, something that says like "I grok with Spock" or something. I don't know, just <laughs> something that shows that you're relaxing. You're wearing right. a, a jacket of of your uniform. Like, right. do you ever relax, man, at all? Right. Like, come on. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's actually a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah, it just takes, like, I'm always on duty to another level. Yeah. <laughs> but then we see, and in, in, in this episode, not only do we see the new uniform, but we also see a variant of the uniform with Cisco wearing just the vest version with his red yes. or burgundy undershirt and the arms yes. and all that. He's got the vest. Yes. Great look great yes. variant of the uniform it just yeah. it works man i'm like i i really feel like it's a great one that could even be you know like dressed up and made into yes. almost like a professional suit you know right. and you could probably go out somewhere and wear that thing and just look just n very nice yeah the the whole feel i get from everything about this uniform is it feels like i mean the most direct comparison of the opposite is like season 1 of tng Man, they look like PJs, and like I'm glad they update them pretty shortly thereafter. I think it's season two where they get the collar, right? Like they immediately get an upgrade. Uh, yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's like middle of season look, two. Yeah, they, and they start look wearing much more professional once they get the collar going. I like the collar a lot whenever they get the collar in TNG. But yeah. this one, not only does it look like a more professional outfit, it looks more serious, a little more you know polished, but it looks like something that you could. Like, it looks warm enough that if you were in a cold space, like a Deep Space Nine space station, you know, maybe it's kind of cold on there because the Cardassians like it cold. No, they, they like it hot or cold. They like it cold, don't they? Cardassians like it hot. Bajorans like it cold. Trills like it cold. Klingons like it hot. Humans are just, you know, we don't Somewhere care. In the middle. Yeah. Okay. 
Well, anyway, my point is, is that it feels, it looks like a material that's very insulating. That it could help keep you warm, but it's not going to keep you too hot. It looks really insulating, and as you pointed out, you can take off an outer layer. Now, of course, maybe that kind of undoes the whole purpose of the previous versions, where it was one outfit that you could use in any situation. This one, now you're telling you taking your jacket off because you're too hot or something. But I it feel, still I, looks really good. <laughs> it does look really good, and I also feel like it adds, it it makes, it adds a more realistic quality to a uniform because like the the jumpers basically that they were wearing on next generation it was like okay once you got dressed for the day that was it you were in that thing until you were off duty you know and and now we see that you can you know unzip your jacket for lunch or whatever or you can you know be looking at spires in the uh in the holodeck and it's undone you got the vest underneath and whatever i mean it just again it added a more realistic quality to the clothes that they use in this particular world that they're in. Um, right. and, 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 and again, it just, it looks great. The color scheme is great. Um, right. They just really nailed it. And all of them look good. It's not like, you know, the command one is the best or anything like that. That color scheme worked for all of the departments. So, and right. we'll see that as the episodes continue, because they're going to use these episodes, these uniforms for the rest of the run of the show. Um, so we'll see that when other people are like, like when O'Brien takes his off and, you know, he's got the gold underneath, you know, you get to see that variant, you know, there too. So yeah, it's, it works and we'll get there. Gotcha. Okay. Um, but yeah, I had to make sure that we talked about that. Now also we have to talk about, cause we, we've harped on them so much and I can't believe that we missed it, but we'll do it right now. Um, as Vincent pointed out, Jake was faced with a very, very tough decision. Um, we see the Cisco family kind of wrestling with this here, uh, when Cisco initially informs them that he wants these visions to continue and he gives them as, you know, gives Jake in particular, a very poignant speech about how he had watched Jake as a baby and how he, you know, could kind of see his life unfolding. And now he feels like he's viewing this situation the same. He's looking at the universe in this kind of same, very, you know, intensely, uh, introspective way and he wants mm-hmm. it to continue and then as the visions are causing his brain to deteriorate and he eventually falls out in his, in his unconscious Jake has to make the decision of whether or not to go against his father's wishes and to get him the surgery that he needs to survive or allow his father to die because he wanted to see this thing through as, as Jake directly says Right. So, you know, the question was raised, you know, whether or not we agree with Jake's decision. Right. Um, I think it's important to note that, again, Jake is a, a, as far as we can tell anyway, he is recognized as a full-grown adult. He's 18 years old. Right. He, um, and obviously he's Ben's next of kin on the station, you know, uh, so there's no need to worry about, like, why didn't they reach out to Joseph or anything like that. Um, this is why Jake could make this decision. Um, yeah, it's actually, that's a great point. You know, he's been a, a minor, you know, pretty much the whole time the whole that we've, time. yeah, this is the first time that we've even heard them officially acknowledge him. He is, a, he's, he's an adult. He's an 18 year old, uh, right. guy now, you know, so and we're going to take your decision here and move with it. Like, right. You, you get full authority to make the decision here. Yes. Um, yeah. Shout out to Vincent. He's, uh, uh, I guess in our YouTube live stream, you can, uh, Whenever you do live streams, you can 
talk and it's fun having someone in the chat. That's great. Um, so yeah, uh, I would say that I agree with Jake's decision, but I don't quite fully agree with his reasoning. Of course, uh, so the reason he's correct, I believe that Cisco would have died if he had ever reached that perfect state of nirvana. I think that in order for him to have achieved it, his physical body would have suffered to the point of death in order for his quote-unquote spirit, or at least his visions, to be fully realized. So I think just Jake was right to say that no matter – I mean even, even my father wouldn't be willing to die if that meant that's the realization of his visions is his death. He will still be able to live on and act on his visions and maybe experience them in the future, but he still has a purpose. Uh, even if even if Jake isn't operating from the sense of he's the emissary and has a spiritual purpose for the Bajoran people, as much as like he shouldn't die on behalf of these visions, that's not the he's not gonna if, if that's what it would actually cause is his death, then no, we don't want to have him die. Um, now the uh reason he gives of like he's my father and i don't want to lose him like i, I, I again part of me feels like jake is kind of in, and I, I fully understand this because he's, he's 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 still young he's still even though he's officially an adult he's still a young man so losing his father would be traumatic but part of me still feels this kind of sympathy toward him as a character of like i feel like he's kind of stuck i mean there's that episode where he had nog back as a roommate which was like what two episodes ago at least mm-hmm. um and it no it was last episode was it last the episode? ascent I, yeah yeah i mean it was like that was last episode the yeah. ascent and uh you know jake was he's kind of uh stuck he's he's kind of having a hard time writing he's kind of messy now again, he's eighteen. Anyone who's eighteen, like you go off to college, part of it is being kind of messy, and you have a college room, and you just kind of leave whatever. So I'm not saying like he's different than anyone else, but part of me really wants Jake to like embrace his life and like move on in some capacity, yeah. like, not just. I don't want him to be just attached to to his father and never like really grow into himself mm-hmm. um that episode of course was i think at the beginning of season four where we see him jumping into the future uh yes. his future self and uh part of the his problems as an older the visitor is, is, is yeah when he's when he's a, a young a man you know he, he gets married but part of his life falls apart because he's uh stuck on getting back with you know, figuring out what happened to his dad but anyway point is Yes, his, he was right to tell uh, uh, Bashir to take Cisco and do the surgery. And I thought it was fun, yeah, the whole, like, his polar something or other, like, his, his polarity is messed up. I just love that sort of mumbo-jumbo, like, maybe in the maybe when we get down to the quantum level, we'll have polarity on some level. His poles are misaligned. But, like, in modern surgical lingo, I imagine that doesn't make a bit of sense. Like, what? But of course, it's 24th century technology. What are we talking about? Right. Now, I will say, um, for me, I like I, I too agree with Jake's decision to save his father's life. Um, I feel like uh, it makes the most sense because Cisco's brain had clearly been altered, and. Um, he, he wasn't thinking like the person that we've come to know up to this point. As we've remarked several times, Cisco's main focus has always been 
Jake and raising his son. And so as you watch this episode and as these visions get more and more, you know, distinct and become a bit more obsessive for him, other things start to lose their importance. He's not doing his job. He's spending a lot of time in the holodeck. He's, I mean, he ate, but he's now playing with his food. He doesn't go and meet Kai Wynn when she shows up, and he should have. And we initially are like, well, that's because it's Kai Wynn, and she's a jerk, you know, whatever. Right. But the reality is he's shirking his responsibilities. When the Admiral calls, he's down on Bahala. He's not on the station to greet him. Um, you know, like, all these things are just evidence of this not being the Cisco that we've come to know and understand. Right. He's always been a very honorable, duty-driven individual, and for him to suddenly cast all of that to so- aside for this mm-hmm. other thing, it shows that there's been an alteration in the man. Right. Um, yeah. And to me, I just, I like that Jake... It, 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 it seems like Jake kind of recognized that, and it's like, if his father was in his right mind and making these kind of choices, he probably would have explained things a bit more to Jake and it would have made Jake okay with his father going off and doing whatever. But the lack of explanation, the lack of connection between them in this episode is why, is why that doesn't work and but why it works for the story, because that is one of the things those two have been very consistent about is their bond, is their connection. And we see it, it's broken in this episode. It's absolutely broken. And it's just like, that's, that's not Ben. That's not Jake. That doesn't make any sense. You know? And so when, when Jake is like, yeah, I need you. I, he, he needs that. He needs that back. He needs to see that connection and, 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 you know, move move on with that. Like, I, I agree with what you're saying, too, about Jake and the fact that, you know, yeah, we recognize him as an adult, but he seems stuck in what he wants to do. Um, right. But I think that's where his relationship with his father would help him out in that regard. And this is the time that he should be getting that, and instead his father's pulling away from him. He's distancing himself from him, but not in a good way. Not in the, okay, it truly is time for my son to grow up and be a man and leave the nest and so forth. It's uh, right. It's almost like he's you know, just you're not important, and that's that's not Ben. Yeah, he's distracted this episode, yeah. and then affects his relationship with. Yeah, you. yeah. Sure. So, so I like that Jake makes that decision. I, um, I again, I really like the end where when Cisco comes back and he's kind of hesitant at first, but then again, upon connecting with Jake, like the physical connection, taking his hand and, you know, they get closer together seeing that they've reestablished that bond and just that simple thing just kind of shows that Jake made the correct decision and it's just um, it, it's a it's a touching moment I, I really love how they treat their family dynamic and it's even though that, that wasn't the focal point of the episode, it kind of becomes that at the end because it's Jake making these decisions for his father and Jake caring for his father in the way that, you know, his father was always caring for him. So we kind of see a little bit of a role reversal here for the two of them. So it's just I, I just think it was all done very well. And um, but yeah, to answer the question, I, I, I agree with Jake's decision. Would I have done the same thing? I don't know, because if my parent was talking to me about having visions from God beings, I, I don't know how I would handle that. But yeah. 
yeah, I mean, I would like to think that if we take that element out of it, and if my if my parent was suffering and was was sick, and there was something that could be done to save their life, that I would make that decision and not base. I would make that decision to save their life versus letting paranoia or uh, a deranged request, you know, from a sick mind stop me from having that person back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a important point. Like when someone says, I want to do this medical thing, you know, I, I made this medical decision. It's, it's, it, 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 over, overriding their medical choice is, is a big deal. Uh, I guess the biggest example of that would be like, you know, um, um, if you're on like life support and like, you know, let me die. Kind of yeah. Thing. Termination, um, right, right to life. Right. Like uh, someone has said that maybe they've only right. said it, but they've never written right. it down. They've never done anything else where they've said to you, I want, if I ever get to the point where I'm so sick and I can't respond, right. don't let them have heroic measures and to save me or keep me going or that's let me go. Let me die, whatever. Right. And then they come to you and they're like, what do you want to do? You have, you have power of attorney or whatever that phrase is they use in those situations. Um, yeah. Could you do it? Could you let that person go or could you, or be like, nah, I want to, I want to save their life. I want right. to, you know, so, cause that's, cause that's what it comes down to. Cause Cisco told him and even Julian says, it, you know, cause, cause Admiral Watley tries to order him to do the surgery and Cisco yeah. and, and yeah, Bashir, Bashir is no. like, yeah, I can't because he's already refused Right. So I can't go by what you say. I have to go I by what go the by family it. says. Yeah. So yeah. interesting way to suddenly shift that focus onto Jake because I wasn't expecting. <laughs> I remember when I watched this the first time, and I was fully expecting this to suddenly become a showdown between the admiral versus the doctor's ethics. But then he ooh. he turned and he was like, "Ah, uh, next to Ken." I was like, yeah. "Ooh, Jake! <laughs> Forgot you were there for a second. <laughs> Step right up." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, again, great episode. Great episode. It's no wonder that it took us, you know, almost an hour and a half to cover everything that's in it. So uh, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. So now that the episode is over, you get to go watch First Contact. Oh boy. So uh, I you might do it tomorrow. I was gonna say you don't. You don't have to do it tonight, but yeah. uh, you should watch it and. Um, because tomorrow's Christmas Eve, we're recording yes. on the twenty third. So tomorrow Christmas Eve, and I'm off from work. So tomorrow is a great day to do it. Um, okay. Maybe you and I will have a chance to record here in the next few days. We can get that dark, well, dark, I'm, dark episode. I'm. Out. I'm. Uh, I don't have to work. I, you know, we're. I, I know we're like just spitballing here. So bear with us for all you people that are live, of course. So <laughs> to speed up the thing, so they don't have to sit here and listen to me hem and haw about it. Yes. Let's go ahead and do it. If you watch First Contact tomorrow, after you're done, we will uh, do a special about First Contact. If you want to watch us live do this uh, special, then you'll have to tune in tomorrow to our YouTube channel. Otherwise, if you're just content to wait until the episode comes out, it will be out in two weeks. Okay, so we will record it on Sunday, but it will not come out until January, um, what is that? January 6th. 
will be when that when the when the after dark for first contact comes out. Okay, <laughs> so there, yeah. there you go. Okay. All right. All right. Well, guys, as always, we are so glad um, that you all were tuning in and listening to us and watching us. And for those of you that were contributing to us, of course, um, we appreciate all of that. You now know about our contest. You now know how you can enter to win. You also know that David has finished um, War and Peace and that we will not only be covering First Contact in uh, in an After Dark special, but we will have our Expanse, the Expanse Nemesis Games After Dark as well, which will probably also be in January because uh, David reads incredibly fast and I'm actually done for once. So, um, yeah. So we'll have a lot to uh, talk about with you all coming up. I hope that you're just as excited as we are uh remember that you can find us and follow us anywhere that you happen to do the social medias and you can listen to us anywhere you happen to listen to podcasts i do it on spotify so guys until next week take care of yourselves thanks guys <laughs>